you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome to the NFL Fantasy Football Show, presented by DraftKings. Here's your host, Marcus Grant. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by DraftKings. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking and socially distancing when and where necessary. And welcome to another Friday show. We have begun week 10. We will talk about it, though, in full with our own Michael F. Florio. That means we will talk about some of the best value draft picks that we expect for this week. For those of you playing daily fantasy football, we'll talk to our resident nerd, Matt Okada, who, by the way, uh, did an excellent guest turn sitting in for Adam Rank on Wednesday. We'll also look at the Thursday night football game between the Colts and the Titans. Some interesting questions coming out of that one. We got that and plenty more to talk about on today's show. But as we always do at this time, we'll talk to our faithful producer, senior Edward L. Murphy Esquire. And Murphy, we were talking before the show about The Mandalorian. And uh, mm -hmm. this has been, I know we're two episodes into the season, but it has reminded me why it literally is probably one of the best shows on TV right now. Uh, without a doubt, um, you know, you have the child slash baby Yoda, whatever you want to call him, is like one of the biggest stars in TV. Um, and you're still trying to see, like, what is the purpose of that character? And then, yeah, I mean, it's just a really, really well done show. There's so many talented people who are behind that, whether it's the, the directing or the creators of the show, John Favreau, obviously, uh, mainly. But uh, the second episode was definitely a bridge episode. I'm interested to see and what they're going to do with that uh, storyline. But it's it's so good. And the thing that stinks, like we were talking before, is we have to wait a week in between. Like, I'm not sure if I want to binge it all in once, because I would. If it was out, I'd watch it all in, in a day, and I'd do nothing with my life and just sit in the couch and watch it, because that's how good it is. But uh, they want to make us wait and talk about it, which is, which is cool. Uh, we are in the golden age of TV, I believe. So it's just another excellent show, uh, you know, at our disposal. I will say that, you know, in the, in the whole Star Wars universe, I feel like they have done a better job recently of telling stories outside of the main character arc, right. right? We followed the whole Skywalker saga forever, and, and it was fine. Like, we all loved it. But I feel like recently between, uh, you know, The Mandalorian, Rogue One, what have you, I feel like they've done a better job once they get outside the main arc and start talking about some of those other stories in the universe. <laughs> Absolutely. And like uh, I was mentioning to you, they do like behind the scenes stuff uh, after the show and you could watch it. And, they, and the people who create the show are so into Star Wars and the Star Wars universe. And like, I love that when people who are basically nerds at their craft and they love every single story. And like, yeah, like we're all used to like, the Luke Skywalker storyline, but there's so many extra things out there that they're now bringing into Mandalorian. And uh, and it's it's awesome because there's more to the Star Wars universe that like, you know, the the regular average person may not know about it. So it's it's great to see all the different aspects they bring in because like i said it's it's an exciting show it's a fun show you really fall in love with the characters uh, i really can't ask for uh, much more 
Absolutely. So looking forward to that. It has become my Friday night thing. When everybody else goes to bed, I stay up late. Uh, I watch The Mandalorian. So uh, I'm looking forward to that capping out uh, what should be a pretty good Friday. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Let's turn our attention now to our pal Michael F. Flora, who joins us every Friday to talk fantasy football and kind of go through the week as it is. Are you watching The Mandalorian? I should ask. Are you watching it? I haven't started it yet. It's on like I haven't even watched season one yet. It's on my list. Uh, I actually recently during quarantine, got my fiance for the first time to watch the original Star Wars trilogy. So making progress, I'm trying to get her now to watch The Mandalorian with me. All right. No, that's, that's good. Uh, you know, but at least, you know, she, at least now it, when you start watching it, she'll have some background. So it sort of will make sense. And so she'll understand why people are going nuts over this tiny little green character that's floating around in an orb. Uh, so like that, it's, it's a good way to start. So uh, tell her welcome to the family. She's one of us now. Um, <laughs> I'll let her know. All right. Uh, Let's look back at the Thursday night football game from last night. Uh, It ended up being one-sided when it was all said and done. The Colts ran off to a 34-17 win over the Titans. In actual football perspective, now the Colts are sitting on top of the AFC South in what should be a very competitive race coming down to the end. But let's look at it from a fantasy perspective. Some of the top scores from last night. Naheem Hines, obviously the big star of the night, 115 scrimmage yards, five catches, two touchdowns in that one. Michael Pittman with 122 scrimmage yards and seven catches. Phillip Rivers, an okay night, 300 passing yards, a touchdown. Derrick Henry never found the end zone, but yardage-wise, a pretty good night, 103 on the ground, one catch for six yards. So um, not quite 12 points. The touchdown would have probably put it over the top, but pretty good production for Henry in that one. Normally, when we do these, Mike, I I like to ask questions about both teams, but I feel like we didn't learn a ton about the Colts last night. They were going up against good defense. I don't know that we're worried about A.J. Brown. I don't know that we're necessarily freaked out because Ryan Tannehill didn't have a good game against a, a good defense. So most of my questions about this game came on the Colts side of the football, and it starts with the guy I mentioned who was the star of the night, Naheem Hines. Mike Clay of ESPN uh, posted last night, which was very astute, I thought. Hines, when he scores touchdowns, he scores two in a game, right? He had two. uh, He's got six touchdowns on the year. They have come in in pairs. Beyond that, he's not scoring touchdowns, but he looks like he's playing the best ball of anybody in that backfield. So are we officially on board now with Naheem Hines in fantasy? officially on board in the sense of I think he should be rostered. I think he is the Colts running back that I am most likely to to trust and to get into my fantasy lineup. But just look at his game log, right? Like week one, 27.3. I actually, Marcus, after week one, a friend in my league spent 75% of his bad budget on Naheem Hines and then has already dropped him before these two of these <laughs> last three big games he had. Like that is how Naheem Hines' season is gone. Like, after week one, it, 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 he had one game in double digits up until he had the 21 points a couple weeks ago and then the 28 last night. He's just so boomer bust that I think what Mike Clay said is true. Like, he has three games with a touchdown this year, and each of those three games he scored twice. He's just so boomer bust in that range. I, right now, I want to stay away from this entire backfield. He is what what our, my pal Matt Harmon refers to as a Costco player, right? He scores in bulk. All his points come in bulk. Uh, which makes it really hard to sort of project him. I'm with you. If there is a back to have in this Indianapolis backfield, it's probably Naheem Hines, mostly because for me, his role doesn't change 
regardless of the situation. We know he is generally the pass-catching back. When he's running well, like he did last night, then maybe he gets more touches as a running back. But generally speaking, his role is going to be kind of static, whereas the other two guys, Jordan Wilkins and Jonathan Taylor, they seem to be battling for who's going to be the actual running back of choice for Frank Reich's offense, which leads me to the next obvious question. It was another poor night for Jonathan Taylor, uh, just about 35, 37 yards, scrimmage yards, all told for him was stood up at the goal line at one point in that ball game. Then late in the game, they're giving Jacoby Brissett goal line touches uh, over Jonathan Taylor. Is he droppable at this point? Maybe. I, I wouldn't. Like, I have Jonathan Taylor in a few leagues, and I am I think it's blind hope at this point that is, is not allowing me to drop him. I, I can't consider starting him now going forward. Even though next week is a favorable matchup, I don't see how I can start him right now. But I and I, I'm someone who coming into the year, I was very high on Jonathan Taylor. I thought after their bye week, they were going to really let him go because I thought you no know, preseason led to, you know, rookies struggling early on. But now he would be more acclimated and they, they'd really just start using him more. And it's been the exact opposite. Like he's getting outplayed by Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. And, and right now, Frank Reich is not saying anything at all that makes us think he's going to change it. In fact, he's saying the exact opposite. He's saying... I love having three running backs. Why wouldn't? And I get it from a real-life perspective. Yeah, you want to have depth. You want to have the ability to make your offense a little bit tough to predict. But for fantasy, it is an absolute nightmare. And Jonathan Taylor, sadly, has been the least productive of the three. And part of it, I tweeted this out last night, Marcus, right? Like, a lot of us want to blame the usage of why Jonathan Taylor is not a good fantasy asset. Oh, the hot hand approach is hurting him. To me, the bigger problem is he's never the hot hand. <laughs> I think you're right. And look, I, and I know we, we do. We want to just say, hey, why don't you just give him the ball more? But part of it is basically what you said. He's not playing well. So if you're Frank Reich, why would you keep banging your head against that wall and giving the ball to a guy who's not productive when you have other guys who are playing well right now? And like we said, it looks like at least for the last two or three weeks, Naheem Hines has been the best back in that offense. Jordan Wilkins has stepped in and he's played some really good football. So he's certainly worthy of some more opportunities. I'll say this because I, I had Jonathan Taylor on one of my fantasy rosters and I was basically leaving him on the bench at this point. Like I, I didn't feel comfortable putting him in. I was sort of like you where I looked at that matchup against the Packers next week and thought, eh, maybe I could do this. That, that worry has been taken out of my hands. Someone offered me Kareem Hunt for Jonathan Taylor, and I could not hit accept fast enough on that one. I, wow. I was just sort of ready to be done with the headache, so uh, I, I kind of moved on from that. But at this point, if you've got Jonathan Taylor, I don't know what you do. I mean, I think you're sort of stuck, right? Because he's still going to get touches. He's still going to get opportunities. You hope maybe he makes the best of them. Uh, otherwise, I think he's going to be sort of hard to trade because I think everybody sees what happened last night. And uh, it's going to be hard to sort of figure out what to do with them. Um, elsewhere in that Colts offense, like I said, I, I didn't have any real questions about the Titans. I mostly had questions about the Colts. Uh, Michael Pittman had the big game receiving last night for Indianapolis, but we know Zach Pascal is still there. There's still a ton of, of tight ends, and that's a whole other ball of wax to try to figure out. But what is your interest level in any of the Colts receivers at this point? 
Right now, my interest level is trying to pick up Michael Pittman uh, off the waiver wire. Like We'll have to see this week how it plays out, where he ranks amongst the waiver wire wide receivers. But after Thursday night, he is clearly someone that deserves to be picked up, I think, uh, next week when waivers run. But outside of that, man, this this Colts team has been... I know they're six and three in real life, but for fantasy, it is just a nightmare. Like I want no part of T.Y. Hilton. Uh, Zach Pascal, he plays well. He gives you ten fantasy points. You know, like the tight ends, like you said, they they use their tight ends like they're running backs. They use three different tight ends. It is just so frustrating that this offense, while like Philip and even Philip Rivers, right? Like he throws for three hundred yards last night. You're like maybe he could put up some good fantasy numbers. Doesn't even give you seventeen fantasy points. Like this is just a gross offense for fantasy. It's it's incredibly gross. Uh, you know, I, I I I side with Pittman. You know, partially because I'm being a, a Trojan homer, but also because he is sort of the he's the young new option kind of there. And the last couple of weeks, it looks like Indy has been focused on trying to get him more involved in the offense. I think at this point, if you haven't already sort of uh, washed your hands of of T. Y. Hilton, I think you can go on and do that at this point because. Uh, he's shown nothing to suggest that you know any real consistency is coming from him. You know, I think Zach Pascal might still have some big breakout game somewhere in there. But you're right. This is an offense that at this point there's just there's nothing encouraging or exciting about it. And even the one piece in in Taylor that we thought could be something really to hold on to just has let us down. So it's 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 amazing that this team can be so competitive and so good in real football. And offer us absolutely nothing, or at least next to nothing, uh, in fantasy football. All right, so now we'll turn our attention to a couple of fantasy headlines. And uh, these two fantasy headlines have some similar things in common. We will start in Los Angeles with the Chargers, where according to offensive coordinator Shane Steichen, this backfield will be determined by, quote, the flow of the game, which is basically just another way of saying we're going with the hot hand in this one, uh, which, again, makes our stomachs turn as a collective fantasy populace. But is there any Chargers running back this week uh, in the game against the Dolphins that we can lean on? Assuming it looks like jo- uh, Justin Jackson may not play. So that leaves us with Joshua Kelly, Kalen Balaj. Maybe Troy Main Pope, if he's available. Any of those guys do anything for you this week? Uh, short answer, no. Long answer, if you are desperate for a running back. Like, I know that there's four teams on by. Injuries are really piling up. So you may be in need of grabbing someone off the waiver wire and plugging into your lineup. And if that's the case, I would go with Pope because two weeks ago when he was healthy before he got the concussion, he was the, the pass catching back. He was the one playing that. Austin Eckler original role, that Justin Jackson role. And to me, there's fantasy, some fantasy value in that because a target on average is like three times as valuable in PPR leagues as a carry. And that's where I think Kelly and Balazs will get a lot of work on the ground. But I don't feel comfortable saying like, oh, it's going to be Balazs, it's going to be Kelly. Because Kelly has struggled all year, but he hasn't fully gone away. Like they keep using him as that change of pace, like secondary running back. And it took Pope being out and Jackson being out to get Balage into it. I think, right, this is a backfield to avoid. But if you're going a little bit deeper, I think it's Pope. I know for me, it's definitely not Kelly. Because after the first couple weeks of the season, we just haven't seen much from him, even though he's playing a lot of the snaps you see on the screen there. He played 52% of the snaps uh, in week nine. 
part of me wants to go with Kalen Balazs just because there's there's novelty in it because he played so well last week that you hope maybe he continues to get some opportunity. Revenge part of it game. is also maybe the revenge game factor uh, <laughs> going against it. So you may be right. It may be Pope because he's the guy who's been there and you know if how much however much stock you put in the phrase he knows the system. I mean Troy Main Pope sort of knows the system there in Los Angeles. So so maybe he is the answer. Uh, I feel like though we're both sort of unified in the fact that it's probably not going to be Joshua Kelly this week uh, against Miami against the Dolphins there. So but Marcus, similar- uh, go ahead. Uh, did you see Austin Eckler's post yesterday? I did. I saw. I saw Fantasy Twitter kind of getting excited. He posted in case you missed it. Austin Eckler posted video of himself doing sprints. Uh, and I think that the comment was something to the effect of, this is for all my fantasy owners. Uh, hope you didn't drop me or, or who haven't dropped me yet. Uh, you know, basically keep the faith sort of thing. So I know that got fantasy Twitter very excited. We don't know when he's coming back yet. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't Chargers, sound like it's going to be anytime soon still, but hopefully. Right. The, the Chargers have given us no indication of when he's coming back, but it is good to see him running. Uh, and I know that, that, you know, anybody who held on, who has, who has kept the faith this long, uh, you got to be excited to see Austin Eckler back out there and working on the field again. All right. Uh, up to San Francisco, though, uh, Raheem Mostert was ruled out pretty early in the week by Kyle Shanahan. They got a matchup against the Saints that uh, it does not look favorable for the, the Niners as a whole. That backfield has become a nightmare to figure out as well. When we think it's going to be Jarek McKinnon, then it's turned out to be you know Jeff Wilson or... Uh, you know, uh, other guys back there. Who is it now? I mean, who who do you feel confident in? Jamichael Hasty is is it him? Is it Jeff Will? Who is it that we feel confident with rolling in the Niner backfield? Right now, I would go with McKinnon, and even him, I have as like a low end RB two. The reason I like him, like you said, it, Marcus, it's a tough matchup against the Saints. They're really really tough against the run, but McKinnon can at least contribute in the passing game and. Last week, he scored a goal line touch. Like, that, that is big, and that is the usage that I at least was expecting Hasty to get when I was backing him last week. And it just, Hasty is kind of like Jonathan Taylor, right? Like, he's gotten some opportunity, and when he's gotten it, he's done absolutely nothing with it. So it makes sense as to why the coaches are going in a different direction. I can't trust him after what he did last week in an even tougher matchup now. So uh, I'm going to go with Jarek McKinnon if I use any of these backs. He probably is the answer here. I think for me, the general answer is I, I think I'm I'm backing away from this backfield as a whole. Um, I, I guess McKinnon is over the tired legs that he had a couple of weeks ago that that allowed a good night's sleep. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's sort of what allowed Jamichael Hasty into our lives a couple of weeks ago. But it appears that McKinnon is sort of back to being the the rusher of record. For Kyle Shanahan's offense, um, but I, I have a feeling that the game script may not allow for the Niners to run the football the way they would like. Uh, you know, that Niners secondary is still beat up. I mean, the whole team is just is just riddled with injuries, and I expect that the Saints might not have too many problems moving the football, scoring points. So this could be a game uh, that is in the quarterback's hands, and it just may not even matter which Niners running back you put in your lineup because they, they may not get a chance to touch the ball a whole lot. This is great. We're in week 10 and we're dealing with running back issues just in time for the playoffs. So uh, this is this is fun for everybody. All right. Today's show is sponsored by DraftKings, the one day leader, the leader in one day fantasy sports. DraftKings has millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week. So download the DraftKings app 
and start using and start using the code team during sign up to start feeling the sweat like never before. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Salute to Service is the NFL's year-round effort to honor, empower, and connect with our nation's service members, veterans, and their families through long-standing partnerships that support our military community. The NFL, its clubs, and players thank all of our armed forces in serving in the United States and around the world. Join the NFL in Salute to Service by visiting nfl.com salute. All right, time for some of our big questions of the week as we rush headlong into the rest of week 10. We made it to the double-digit weeks. I mean, uh, that is an accomplishment in and of itself. So uh, let's start in Detroit, where we talked about running backs a lot in the last segment. Let's just kind of keep that theme rolling right now. We want DeAndre Swift to be great. When the Lions give him opportunities, he's done pretty well with them. It just seems like for whatever reason – they don't want him to be great. This week, it's not a, a great matchup against Washington. And I'm going to see how many times I can say great in this segment before we just get to the end of it. Um, what <laughs> should we expect from DeAndre Swift this week uh, against against the FT? Yeah, first, DeAndre Swift, I, I'm very thankful for him because as someone who liked Taylor and Swift, Taylor Swift, um, <laughs> Swift at least is coming through. I know the coach usage isn't the best, but he's not making me look as silly as Jonathan Taylor is. My expectations this week, though, like I still have him as a top 20 running back. And so much of that, though, is because the state of the running back position right now. Like I would use him over the Niners and the Chargers backs like we were just talking about last segment. But it is a tough matchup against the Washington football team. The only thing I'll say is while the the fantasy production, like he hasn't had a huge blow up game in a couple weeks now, but he played over 60 percent of the snaps last week. He's still their pass catching back, getting like five targets on average each game. And then he also he has two games this year with less than 11 fantasy points. So that's a safe floor. And I think if they ever cut him loose, the upside is a lot higher. I do like the floor I, and I, I, I get where you're coming from with the state of running backs, especially this week. Um, I mean, you look at the guys on a bye, right? You got Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Le'Veon Bell on a bye, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley. All those guys are off. So people are going to be in need of running backs this week. So, you know, and now you have David Johnson. Uh, looks like he may not play depending on, on you know, his status in the concussion protocol this week. So you're going to need running backs. And for that reason, DeAndre Swift is going to be a guy that is going to be plugged into a lot of lineups. I just I just am so frustrated with watching every single week and seeing him do things with the football in his hands. And then you look up and Adrian Peterson is still playing 40% of the snaps. Or last week we saw on Johnson starting to get back into the act and it turning into a three-headed monster. It is, I, I fear, sort of turning into what we have seen in Indianapolis, what we have seen in Baltimore. Uh, and, and that is frustrating when... At least in this case, look, I I get it in Indy, right? Jonathan Taylor's not being the guy that you thought he would be. So you're going to get some other guys in there. Uh, In Baltimore, they just like to run the football and they just want to try to diversify as much as possible. In in Detroit, I don't get it because you have a guy who I think has been head and shoulders above everybody else. Yet for whatever reason, you keep taking your 35-year-old running back and running him into the back of your offensive line. That's one that I I don't understand at all. Um, Okay. In Tampa... Last week, we talked about what's going to happen with Antonio Brown stepping into the lineup, uh, how he's going to fit in with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And we said, maybe this is a wait and see week against the Saints. Let's figure out how things go. Uh, And then the Bucs got punched in the mouth repeatedly. And I feel like last (laughs) week 
last week was not a true indication of what this offense can do because they sort of had to abandon their game plan pretty early in this one. Now this week, they've got the Panthers who've been pretty tough against opposing passing games. Do you think we're going to get a better idea of the Bucks wide receiver group this week? My fear is that their usage looks similar to last week's usage where it was Godwin six targets, Evans six targets, Gronk six targets, and AB five targets. And that is just a fantasy nightmare because six, five, six targets for a player like like Evans and Godwin that were drafted to be wide receiver ones is just not getting the job done. But I think this week, I have Antonio Brown ranked ahead of Mike Evans. I actually feel better about Antonio Brown going forward than Mike Evans. Like Antonio Brown, especially this week, because last week Antonio Brown was their deep threat. Like he led them in air yards. He led them uh, in targets of 20 plus air yards. And the uh, the Panthers this year have allowed the second most receptions of 20 plus air yards. So I'm thinking he has a better chance of converting those uh, deep shots. And if you're talking about someone getting five, six targets, you either need a long completion or a touchdown to really justify having that guy in your fantasy lineup. This is, we don't talk about wide receiver committees, but this is probably turning into a wide receiver committee right now. I, I still sort of you know, put my chips with Chris Godwin a little bit because I still think he's the, the top receiver. Uh, I do agree that that AB is probably going to finish ahead of Mike Evans this week because Evans, he's, um, if there's such a thing as a goal line receiver, that's what Mike Evans has become this year, right? He's the guy that they, they like throwing it to when they're down near the end zone. And so that touchdown upside has sort of kept him afloat because between the twenties, you just have not gotten much production out of him. I, I do think that they are still going to make a concerted effort to kind of get Antonio Brown comfortable in this offense. Uh, you know, Gronk has, you know, has sort of come to life in terms of targets. Last week, he didn't do much production-wise, but then again, really nobody did in Tampa. So there just have become a, a lot of people that you have to spread the football to. And again, this is one of those things that's great for real football. It is maddening for fantasy football because we like certainty. We like narrow passing games. We like those focused opportunities. Uh, where we know there's going to be a guy or two guys that get eight to ten targets a week. And that just might not be the case with this passing game with all the guys that they have to throw to. We haven't even mentioned the fact that they still throw the football to Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones occasionally. So so some of those targets are still coming out of that that pool as well. So it it it's just going to be frustrating. And I, I, I think, you know, at some point you just sort of you pick a guy, you plant your flag, and you roll with them, and you see how things are going to turn out. Because at some point, the wheel's going to land on them. Um, you just might not be able to figure out when. Uh, quarterback talk. In the AFC West, uh, kind of an interesting matchup between the Broncos and the Raiders. Uh, with two quarterbacks that don't necessarily get a ton of love, but have been playing pretty well right now. Drew Locke versus Derek Carr. Who would you pick between the two of them this week? I have them back-to-back -back in my rankings, but I have Derek Carr just ahead. And kudos to you, Marcus. You were the first person that I heard at least talking up Drew Locke, not even for the matchup against the Falcons, but you were talking about weeks ago, like, hey, this guy has a favorable schedule. And I think, once again, this week, he is a good streaming option. The only reason I will go with Derek Carr is because I think he's a little bit safer. Uh, Drew Locke, the last two weeks has been awesome, but before that, he was not someone you can really rely on for fantasy. And last week... 
the first half, I was nervous. I was like, oh, man, Drew Locke is going to flop here. But then he was down three scores and had to throw, had to run, and really put up a nice day. But here, I, I like Derek Carr. He's just been consistent, as you see there. Two-plus passing touchdowns in six of his last seven. He's getting a little bit more involved running the football. So I have them both as high-end QB2s, but if I have to pick one, I'm going Carr. I'm going to go with, with Derek Carr here as well. And I think part of it is just uh, at some point we, we got to give him his props because he's very quietly been playing well this year. Uh, you know, he has he has made something out of Nelson Aguilar. Maybe Nelson Aguilar has made something out of Derek Carr. I don't know. Maybe it's a partnership. I don't know. But for whatever reason, both these guys are playing really good football right now. The other part of it is as much as I have been a champion for Drew Locke, it has been a little nerve wracking to sort of watch him because even in the games he's played well, those points haven't really shown up until the fourth quarter. And that's a hard way to live on a regular basis. I will say this. If you are going the Drew Locke streaming route, this might be your last week to sort of get in because the schedule gets tougher for the next few weeks after this. They've got Miami, who has been locking down on quarterbacks, no pun intended there, uh, the Saints, the Chiefs, the Panthers, the Bills. So for the next few weeks, things get a little bit tougher for Drew Locke. So uh, if you have him on your roster and you're thinking about streaming a quarterback, this might be the last week to get in. Uh, because other than that, after that, then things get a little bit more difficult. But between the two of them, uh, I'm going to give Derek Carr the slight edge. You hear that, Raider fans? Raider fans who've been in my mentions for when I don't pick them to win uh, on, on any given week. Uh, I've heard about It's funny. This is a, a completely different aside. I, I, I've been lucky enough to do uh, sort of the weekly game picks uh, on NFL.com. I know I think Daniel Jeremiah and Adam Rank and, and Cynthia Freeland and several other people are all involved. There are people out there who honestly are tracking my picks more closely than I am uh, because <laughs> I hear about it when I when I pick the same team to lose several weeks in a row. People will screenshot them and come back at me. And I'm like, bro, I don't even remember what I picked two weeks ago, but good for you. So uh, for all you Raider fans who are salty at me for not picking the Raiders enough, I'm picking Derek Carr this week. So there, leave me alone. Um, more quarterback talk. Uh, Lamar Jackson has notoriously been sunder, sort of underperforming this year in Baltimore. But uh, look, the Patriots, that defense, we keep saying it's not the same group that it was. They struggled to contain Joe Flacco last week. So is this a bounce back opportunity for Lamar Jackson here? Yeah, I have no idea where Joe Flacco came from. Uh, maybe like, he looked like his old Ravens Joe Flacco, but I, I, I'd still the Patriots on the year are still allowing the third fewest fantasy points to quarterbacks. Uh, I, I, I think it's a week where like if you have Lamar, you're probably still starting him because I like him more than the waiver wire options. But I don't feel great about Lamar. Like he's barely a top twelve quarterback for me this week, and part of it is is the matchup but most of it is just the way Lamar's playing right now like he's not running nearly as much as he did last year he's averaging less than 60 yard rushing yards per game and I know for a quarterback over 50 rushing yards is still really good not when you drafted someone who was rushing for 80 rushing yards last year and you were expecting similar results and that's not just the only play like he's throwing 20 less passing yards per game he had 36 passing touchdowns last year he is just 12 right now this offense and last week their offense looked more broken than ever. So I, I don't know. I mean, two weeks ago before the bye. So I don't know how you really feel great about Lamar this week. I'm trying to make myself feel great about Lamar. Um, it, it is the passing part of it that has has sort of befuddled me because the talk in the offseason and my belief coming into this season was that 
they wanted to try to throw the football more. And it, it just hasn't worked out. The connection with uh, Marquise Brown has not has not worked out. Mark Andrews has been sort of inconsistent. And we'll talk about him a little bit later on uh, in this show as well. It, it just has not worked out throwing the football. And then, as you mentioned, the rushing yards have not been there. And no, nobody expected that he was going to set another rushing record uh, after having 1,200 yards last year. But you did expect that he would still get you a little bit more than what we have seen from him this season. We're still waiting for a, uh, you know, we, he's had 100 yard game. We're still hoping that maybe there's another one in the offing. It just, it just hasn't happened, but I'm sort of banking on the fact that look, the, the Patriots couldn't get pressure on Joe Flacco and he stood back there and threw three touchdown passes. He put up 20 fantasy points last week so that if Flacco can do that against the Patriots that I would expect as much or more against Lamar Jackson. So that's sort of what I'm, I'm banking on. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if it happens. Uh, I think at this point, though, you're, you, know, you, you drafted Lamar Jackson high. I won't say you're forced to start him because that's never going to be the case. But I do think that you're looking around at your options and you're wondering if there's a better one and, and you might be hard-pressed to find one, certainly, on the waiver wire this week. Uh, I generally avoid doing two questions about the same team, but the Ravens were on my mind this week especially with talk that Mark Ingram might be back in the lineup. I know earlier in the week he practiced. On Thursday, he did not. So we're still sort of trying to figure out what his situation is. But if it goes back to that three-headed running attack, do you peg any of these guys or do you just stay away in general? I, I would stay away in general if Mark Ingram is healthy. If he's not, I think these two guys are then flex options because they still take away from one another. But we saw it for weeks when, when Ingram was healthy – when they have all three backs, they're going to use all three backs. And each of them plays around a third of the snaps each week. One will get a little bit of a higher amount, like, you know, like 40% maybe. But it just it varies week to week. And they all get single-digit carries. Like, yeah, J.K. Dobbins, he may get the targets. But targets from Lamar Jackson to a running back are like two per game. So there, you can't rely on those. The goal line work lately has been going to Gus Edwards. But when they were... All healthy. We saw Mark Ingram involved. We saw Dobbins getting some. So it, it is just a complete nightmare right now. And it, who would have thought that, right? Like after last season and, and how good this running game was with Lamar and Ingram and even Gus Edwards, like I, I would have thought maybe J.K. Dobbins doesn't get involved because Ingram is playing really well. But I never would have guessed that like you wouldn't be able to start really anyone on Baltimore besides Lamar Jackson. It's it's one of those things, and look, obviously we aren't at the practices. We we don't see what goes on there. We're not in the meeting rooms, and the, the bottom line is the Ravens are six and two, and they're still you know very much in the hunt. Uh, you know, to be they're they're still a, a Super Bowl contender without a doubt. Um, you do wonder though for those running backs how much of their their struggle to produce is from the fact that they are rotating so continually. I mean, I remember looking at their usage rates. Uh, after week five or six, something like that. And it was split almost e almost completely evenly. I mean, it was like, you know, 34, 33, 33 or something like that. I mean, in terms of their, their usage rates. And I mean, it's sort of impressive that they could split the, the opportunities quite so evenly between the three of them. But you do wonder that even if it's just a two-headed attack, you still have the chance to get more into the flow of the game and more into the rhythm. Uh, and maybe that has something to do with why these guys have not been as productive as we would like them to be. But again, if you're John Harbaugh, uh, you don't have a lot of motivation to change because your team's winning. You're 6-2, and two, and the offense has been good enough. 
Uh, this is just us sort of crying and complaining from our own selfish purposes here uh, and wishing that we could just sort of pick a guy because that would be nice. That would be a soul, so much better uh, for everything we want to do. Uh, speaking of picking things, you should pick watching us on NFL Fantasy Game Day on Sunday mornings. It's myself along with Michael Love Florio, Kimmy Checks, and Adam Rank driving the proceedings. You can find it in all the places you stream all of our content. That's NFL.com, the NFL apps, and at YouTube, and at YouTube.com slash NFL Fantasy Football. In fact, if you are watching it on YouTube, you know that Michael LaFlorio is there answering your questions for about the first 45 minutes of the show. So if you got last minute lineup decisions you need help with, jump on, ask the questions, and Florio will try to get to as many of them as he can in the comments section below. Time for Best Value presented by DraftKings, the time of the week where we dig through the DraftKings salaries and try to figure out who could give you the most bang for your buck there. So we'll start at the quarterback spot. Who is on your radar this week, Florio? Marcus, I'm going to steal a line from you. It may be low-hanging fruit, but it tastes just as good and it's less work, right? So I'm going with Jared Goff against the Seattle Seahawks here. And it's all about the matchup. Seattle allows the most fantasy points, the most passing yards, and the most rushing touchdowns. I know we don't think of Goff as a runner, but we did see him sneak a rushing touchdown earlier this year. So maybe he can do that. And what I like even more is just the consistency of how many points they allow. There's been two quarterbacks all year who failed to score 20 points against Seattle. One is Kirk Cousins, which I can't explain, and one was Jimmy G when he left early due to injury, and Nick Mullins scored 18 in relief that game. So it's just right now start quarterbacks against Seattle. Kirk Cousins, which I can't explain, is uh, as good a description <laughs> as any I think I've heard. Uh, I'm going to go with Tua Tungavailoa, who you know looked really good last week. Uh, against the Cardinals and has a very favorable matchup this week against the Chargers. Uh, it is apparent why the Dolphins wanted him and why they put him in when they did. And I know we sort of asked the question a couple of weeks ago uh, why they would make the change from Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I think we've seen it the last couple of weeks. On top of that, this Chargers secondary, I mean, losing Derwin James was a big blow to this group, and, and I think you've seen that bear out through the season. So uh, I would take my shot with Tua uh, and see what the young guy can do against that Charger defense. Uh, running back, which uh, if there's ever a week to find value at running back, this might be it. Uh, where are you going? I went a little bit higher, but I'm going with Antonio Gibson. I, I really like Gibson this week. I think he can be a top 10, maybe even top five running back because wow. the Detroit Lions are allowing the most fantasy points per game to uh, running backs, and I know the fear is J.D. McKissick because he's been awesome and, and getting a lot of passing game work, and I like McKissick too, but my hope here is that with the Lions offense being as banged up as it is, no Kenny Galladay it's looking like, potentially no T.J. Hawkinson, that if the Washington football team can rely on their defense and running game in the second half, it could lead to a lot of Antonio Gibson. I like Gibson, especially because he's getting a lot of the work down near the goal line, which is key. I am going to go, though, with his teammate, J.D. McKissick, and you mentioned that you, you sort of like as well. Uh, so while Gibson's getting the goal line work, uh, McKissick's getting a lot of passing work. And it's weird to think, but he's second on the team in targets, receptions, uh, and receiving yards. I mean, there's, mind you, a huge gap between J.D. McKissick and Terry McLaurin, uh, but he is still getting those opportunities. So he's out there on the field. I like both of these Washington backs against a Detroit team uh, that has given up the most total touchdowns to running backs this year. I think it's 10 on the ground and five through the air. So whichever way you're getting down near the end zone, there's a pretty good chance that your running backs will have a chance to score against the Lions. So 
Uh, McKissick is one. He's maybe a little bit more of a long shot than Gibson, but I think has a chance still to produce this week. Uh, over to wide receiver. I, I love your wide receiver pick for this week, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm going with Brandon Cooks. And I was a huge Will Fuller supporter coming into the year, and I still am. I have Will Fuller in a lot of leagues. He's been awesome. But he, I feel like, is taking away some of the shine from Brandon Cooks because Brandon Cooks is just going out and balling each and every week. In the last four games, he has at least nine targets in every single one of them. He has scored 30, 21.8, 13, and 17 fantasy points in that stretch. He has a touchdown in three of the last four. And the Browns are a really good matchup for wide receivers. They've allowed the fifth most points to wide receivers this year. And if David Johnson's out, maybe we get a little bit more Deshaun Watson throwing the ball. I'm going to go with John Brown here in this one. And I know that the passing game for the Bills has been sort of sporadic. It, it certainly kind of bounced back a little bit last week. Uh, and I know that when they do throw the ball, it tends to be Stefan Diggs. But I think Brown is set for a big blow-up game this week for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I mean, look... He was a nice piece last year in this offense. He hasn't quite duplicated that level of production this year, part of it because uh, he just has not been completely healthy. But the Cardinals have given up some yards through the air. and We saw that last week against the Dolphins. Uh, we saw Preston Williams having a really nice game before. Unfortunately, he was injured. And even after he went out, Devontae Parker uh, still caught a few passes from Tua. So uh, I think there's a chance for both of the Bills wide receivers to get involved in this one. And Brown just happens to be the better value uh, of the guys pass, uh, catching the ball in that offense. Uh, tight ends, which we all need tight end help. So please, wh where are we going for value tight ends this week? Yeah, I, I went a little bit higher because tight end, it, it dries up real fast. So I'm going Evan Ingram here. And what I just love about him is the volume he gets right now each and every week. Like in his last three games, he has 29 targets. That's 9, 10, and 10. So it's consistent, big-time volume. And in that stretch, he scored double-digit fantasy points in each game. His points continue to climb. And I know last time he played the Eagles, we, on this podcast, Marcus, were talking about how much he disappointed. He only had the, the he had 10.9 fantasy points, but he had a lot more opportunity to do more with it. He had that big, long drop that if he catches that, his day looks so much better in that game. And he caught that ball last week. So I'm just feeling good about Evan Ingram going forward right now. I'm feeling good about Evan Ingram for the rest of the season. I mean, hopefully he can kind of cut out some of the drops, but the schedule opens up nicely for him. I'm going to go Eric Ebron here because the matchup against the Bengals is a good one. Uh, they give up the second most fantasy points per game to the tight end position. Uh, look, I, the... The pass catchers have been sort of hard to figure. It's nice to see Juju sort of come back. I mean, Chase Claypool's been okay. Deontay Johnson's been okay. Uh, you haven't had a ton of blow-up games recently from this group, but I do think Ebron has an opportunity to get a few targets here. And look, unless you have Travis Kelsey and, and he's on a bye this week, you're sort of hoping that your tight end finds the end zone in order to be successful in any given week. And I think Eric Ebron has that opportunity uh, against Cincinnati to, to find his way into the painted area. So I'm willing to sort of throw a dart at him uh, at the tight end spot. Uh, defenses. We are sort of of one mind uh, when it comes to defenses this week. Uh, tell me why you picked the defense we picked. Uh, I'm guessing we had similar approaches. We were like, oh, the Jets are on by. Okay, who are the Giants playing? That is the defense <laughs> I'm going to go with. I mean, Daniel Jones is just has been having a lot of issues holding on to the ball. The Giants are turning the ball over a bunch. They give up a, a lot of sacks, too. And, and 
it, they don't score a lot of points either. The second fewest points, only the Jets are scoring fewer than them right now. So I, I know it's still it's not the deepest of dive at defense, but if I'm building a DFS lineup this week, I'm, I'm getting the Eagles in. Well, Daniel Jones didn't turn the ball over for the first time all season last week. Uh, I am hard-pressed to believe that he's going to make that two in a row. So that's part of the reason I'm going with the Eagles' defense. Um, yeah, the, the Giants have just been very friendly to opposing fantasy defenses and you know, in a week where I, I didn't think there were a lot of great values defensively uh, for, for daily fantasy. I, I, felt, I thought that this was one of the best ones. Uh, and look, I've, I've been suggesting for the last couple of weeks that this is a chance to stream the Eagles defense. I don't want to say I was alone. Uh, I know there were other people saying it as well, but I, I definitely advocated that there, this was a time to go out, pick up the Eagles defense, stream them uh, because they had some really favorable matchups coming up. And uh, this was one of them. So there you go. That was best value presented by DraftKings. It's time for best of the pack presented by Panini trading cards. If you've been watching the show all year, you know that uh, this is when we pick out a pack of Panini trading cards and we pick three of them and we talk about some of the best ones in the pack. So Let's start it off at tight end, which has been a bugaboo all year long. Mark Andrews. And it's funny. I, I went and looked, and he was coming into week 10, was the tight end eight. And it was sort of amazing to me that he was that high. And I went and I looked, and when he has been good, he has been very good. Uh, he's had three games with 17 or more points. The rest of them have been six or fewer I mean, it is is all or nothing with him. This week against the Patriots, how much do you trust Mark Andrews? I, for the first time all year, Marcus, do not have Mark Andrews as a top 12 tight end. It, wow. It's gotten that bad. Like, to your, your point is everything I was going to say about him. Like, it, when he does show out, he's been good. But there's just been way more duds than there have been those big performances. And what worries me is in the last three weeks, what all six points or fewer, like you said, Four targets, six targets, five targets. He is one game with more than six targets in his last five games played. This this offense, it's not Mark Andrews either. It's the Lamar part of the passing. It's just this whole offense in general. It's not clicking right now. The Patriots have been stingy against tight ends. If you're starting him, I think you're hoping that the Mark Andrews of 2019 shows up. He had 58 receiving yards in week one, 58 receiving yards and two touchdowns. We were all like, hey, all right, Mark Andrews. He's still one of the elite tight ends in fantasy football. That 58 yards is his high for the season. He has not hit 60 receiving yards yet in a game. And at this point, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of out on it. I mean, he has become sort of like any number of other tight ends that unless he finds his way into the end zone, there's just not enough there to give you consistent quality production and you know we talked about kind of avoiding the Colts passing game I mean we're at a point where I think you probably avoid the Ravens passing game too because there's just nobody there uh, that you can have any real belief in on any given week all right next up it is Ronald Jones of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and uh, look, his his lot in life has sort of gone in circles, right? He was in a committee, <laughs> then Fournette got hurt, and he was the man. Then Fournette comes back, and uh, he's back in a committee again. Do you consider him still to be the RB1 in Tampa right now? I do not. I think that Leonard Fournette is the RB1. I have Leonard Fournette ranked higher. I'm excited to play Leonard Fournette this week. Not so much Ronald Jones. Uh, I still have him pretty high because of the matchup, and, and they give up the Panthers give up a lot of points on the ground. But since Fournette has been back and healthy, 
he's playing two thirds of the snaps. Jones is playing 30%. Uh, he's getting a lot of the targets, six targets per game for Nets averaging there. Jones is just down to three. They're splitting a lot of the groundwork. And to take it a step further, Marcus, like let's look at everything Bruce Arians has done, not said, because I know he keeps saying it's Ronald Jones' job. He inherited Ronald Jones and did not really use him as the lead back last year. Instead, was getting Darry Ogumbawale and Peyton Barber into the mix. And then this year, in a year, they clearly went all in. They drafted Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round. They signed Leonard Fournette before the season. And when he has Leonard Fournette available, he uses Leonard Fournette over Ronald Jones. So Bruce Arians can say he loves Ronald Jones all he wants. His actions clearly paint a different picture. I hate that you're right. I really do. I hate <laughs> that you're right about this because I want I want it so bad for Rojo. Uh, you know, and there was He's like a, a, a stretch. There was a stretch of like a month in there where I felt like I was right. Like I came into this year kind of like <laughs> as one of. I said this before. I said this in August, right? There was no more polarizing player in fantasy football than Ronald Jones, right? If you wanted to start a fight amongst fantasy analysts, <laughs> you would just say Ronald Jones and walk out of the room and just let them fight amongst themselves. And so for like a month, I was feeling really good about it. And and you're right. Everything everything that the Bucks have done, all of their actions suggest that they don't necessarily love Rojo that way. Um, that they're going to give everybody else sort of a chance to come in and take that job from him. And, you know, it's it's frustrating because right now, as we sit here and talk, Ronald Jones is a top 15 fantasy back, but uh, everybody else is still going to get opportunities. The other weird part about this is that if after the first three years of Leonard Fournette's career, you would have come to me and told me that Leonard Fournette would go somewhere and become a team's pass catching back, I would have <laughs> laughed in your face. Like, But this is where we are. He goes to Tampa. Well, he had, he catches 70 balls last year in Jacksonville. He goes to Tampa this year, and he is the guy that they throw the football to out of the backfield. He's the new James White. 2020 <laughs> is weird, man. It absolutely is weird. Um, all right. Last one. Uh, it's A.J. Brown who uh, played last night and uh, did not have a great night last night. Just one catch for 21 yards, and, and that was kind of it. Dropped a pass that might have been a touchdown. Uh, down the sidelines early in that game, but uh, just not much to show for it. But uh, on the whole, it has been a very good and productive year for A.J. Brown. So let's kind of spin it forward a little bit, uh, just projecting to next year's drafts. How high would you consider drafting him? Yeah, as someone who has A.J. Brown in my league of record, watching him play last night and having multiple opportunities to reel in that ball and not able to do it, it, it hurt. But as someone who has A.J. Brown, I, I think... His production has has been great. Like, I'm not going to complain about it at all, but his volume isn't quite... And that was my concern with Brown coming into the year. He does not have a game with double-digit targets this year. Corey Davis has multiple of those. So, like, it's not like they, it's because they're just running the ball the whole time. Like, Brown is doing giving you the most out of the limited production he's been seeing, but it's just this offense. They spread the ball out. They love to run the ball. And I think... Third round is where I would be comfortable taking him, preferably earlier third round, because that's where I think like those borderline wide receiver ones really start to go. And I think that is the range that I have him in. But I will say I fully expect because the fantasy community loves this guy. I fully expect for him to get a lot of hype and potentially go in the second round next year. That's what I think is going to end up happening. I think you're right. I think I think we'd all feel better with him in the third round, but I do think the hype is going to sort of push him up a little bit. Uh, what is different 
this year versus last year, and you sort of talked about it, is Corey Davis playing well, Johnu Smith sort of playing well as well. I mean, last year, the, the Titans didn't have a ton of consistent options to go to in the passing game. So I think that's part of the reason uh, A.J. Brown got as many opportunities as he did. But even then, I think one of the things people loved about him was the fact that he was incredibly efficient on a relatively few number of targets uh, compared to some other guys uh, that were scoring the same amount of fantasy points as he was. And maybe that should have been sort of a, a warning sign for some of us too, that uh, that really high rate of efficiency was going to be hard to duplicate. So he's been good. Um, I don't know that he has quite been the guy that he was last year, but I don't think, you know, I don't think you're going to just suddenly kick him to the curb, uh, but you're right. You know, we talk about this now we say third round now, uh, and then we get to like June and everybody's like super hyped about AJ Brown again. And that, uh, that ADP starts going through the roof. So um, consider this our opportunity to our, our efforts to tamp that down a little bit and help you get some kind of draft value. Uh, AJ Brown before you get to next August. All right. That was best of the pack presented by Panini trading cards. All right. It is time for my favorite segment of the week. It is ask a nerd. And again, shout out to Matt Okada who sat in on Wednesday, did a great job holding it down in place of Adam rank, but uh, we have been doing a series of the best positional single game performances since the year 2000. And let's just round it on out. We asked Matt Okada this week about the best single game tight end fantasy performances since the year 2000. What you got, Matt? Thanks, Marcus, and welcome back to Ask a Nerd. After our QB segment last week, Kyler Murray put up 38 fantasy points, so I'd say the streak of success continues. And this week, we are tackling the one position we're all desperate for help at. Here are the top five single-game performances by a tight end this millennium. At number five, we have the fresh memory of George Kittle in week four this season. Kittle had 15 catches for 183 yards and a touchdown to finish with 40.1 fantasy points, mostly in good old garbage time. It's a very similar story at number four, where Zach Ertz racked up 40.5 fantasy points on 14 catches and 145 yards with two scores in Week 10 2018. Another garbage time Eagles game, only reversed. No tight end list would be complete without the Gronk, and he spikes his way to number three on our list, by spiking three touchdowns in Week 8, 2014. Gronk had nine catches for 149 yards in that game against the Bears, but it was that trio of scores that pushed him up to 41.9 fantasy points and onto our list. For number two, we take a trip back in time to another tight end with a three TD game. Antonio Gates scored 42.5 fantasy points in Week 8, 2005, thanks to 10 catches for 145 yards and those three scores. The future Hall of Famer ranks third all-time in fantasy points by a tight end, behind only Tony Gonzalez and Jason Witten. And finally, at number one on our list, we have a tight end legend and now a TV star, Shannon Sharp. In Week 7, 2002, Sharp caught 12 balls for a tight end record 214 receiving yards and two tutties, and routes with an incredible 45.5 fantasy points. How I long for Mark Andrews or Hunter Henry to put up one of these weeks. Let's hope together... Until next time, I'm Matt Okada. This has been Ask a Nerd, and may the fantasy points be with you. Thank you, Matt. Uh, it was a good mix uh, of, of tight ends that we saw uh, in that block there. Just kind of, you know, some, some old, some new. Uh, and so, all right. 
usually we get to this part of the show. I've asked, you know, which tight end you would want since 2000. Uh, but I feel like there's only really one answer to that. Uh, I mean, if it's generally if it's not Gronk, I, I just don't know who it's going to be. Um, and then I ask, you know, which tight end do we think could maybe join the list? But I don't feel confident that there's a solid answer this week with Travis Kelsey on a bye and George Kittle injured. So instead, I'm just going to ask you at this point, what do we do about tight end draft strategy? I mean, if we're starting to think about next year and we're drafting a tight end, what approach do you suggest people take? My approach for a stretch was just to draft Antonio Gates at tight end. So that was fun uh, seeing <laughs> oh. him in that in that. But I think my approach next year is going to be the opposite of what it was this year. This year I was saying if I can get Kelsey or Kittle, you know, end of round two, uh, I will take them. And then if I missed out on those guys, I would wait and I would try to grab a tight end that I perceive as having the upside to kind of take that next step. And Evan Ingram or uh, Tyler Higby was one that I was very high on. And, uh, and where I drafted those players outside of Evan Ingram now, but like, Early on, I was still streaming tight end week to week. So I think my approach next season is going to be Kelsey, Kittle, and, and I'll put Waller in that bunch early and really prioritize the position early or just wait until like the double-digit rounds and I'll end up streaming the position anyway. But that's what I'm doing when I wait till the middle rounds to take a tight end anyway. That was sort of my strategy this year too, that if I would either get one of those top two guys early uh, or I would just wait until the double digit rounds. Um, and that might just have to be it again because those middle round guys have been incredibly frustrating, whether it has been, you know, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, uh, you know, you take your pick at those. It just hasn't really worked out. Um, so I, I think, but I think there is actual value in going and get some, getting someone early. So I'll ask you this though, because, of you know, what we have seen sort of in the middle to late round guys, uh, the fact that, that George Kittle has not been healthy for a good stretch of the year. Would you be surprised to see Travis Kelsey jump into the first round in a lot of leagues? I wouldn't. And I, for the first time ever, I think I may not shy away from it. I'm still someone that believes you need to get your running backs early just because those workhorse running backs dry up really fast. But my approach this year was wide receiver is so deep, especially in like rounds three through seven, that I'm okay waiting and getting my starting wide receivers there. And then it just got deeper as the season went on. Like there's so many great waiver wire wide receiver pickups this year that I would not be surprised if, if we see tight ends going ahead of a lot of these wide receivers just because the scarcity at the running back and tight end position compared to how deep wide receivers wide receiver is. Yeah, I, I do think Kelsey is going to be very coveted. I think you're going to see him go really early. Uh, I think Kittle still goes early. Darren Waller may end up going early. But beyond that, uh, I think you're just going to be better off sort of waiting. And yeah, if there's if there's a position you can absolutely wait on, it is probably wide receiver just because there are so many guys uh, who are so productive at that level. One day tight end will be deep, or at least we'll <laughs> stop telling ourselves that tight end is going to be deep and we just accept that this is currently Which, which will happen first? It'll get uh, good or we'll stop trying to make it good. I think I think what will happen is that we'll stop trying to make it good and then it will become good. Uh, it'll, <laughs> it'll, that's, that, that's how it's going to work out. And when we stop beating our heads against that wall, then actually the door will open up uh, and we'll have some fantasy tight ends. So, All right, there it is. That is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by DraftKings. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, you'll never be as lazy as the person who named the fireplace. Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we will see you on Monday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.